Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Yes, hello out there, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. And Flynn, we got a lot going on. Coming up this week for us, at least, is the live stream that we're going to be doing Sunday night on our Patreon page. There will be more details at the end of the episode about that. And in Bruce World, we've got a COVID situation, and we've also got new tour dates. Should we start with the COVID? I think we should. We've had uh, we had three band members test positive so far, and fortunately, they've uh, while it's been Susie, Nils, and Steve. And while Steve and Susie were out Friday night, uh, Nils wasn't, and then Nils tested positive over the weekend. So it's not like all three of them have uh, are missing one show at the same time. But uh, tonight we're actually recording on Valentine's Day night, and Steve and Susie are are back on, in action on the stage in Houston. Yes, they are. And we had spoken to Nikki Germain yesterday about her phenomenal book, which that episode will be out next week. And she had told us that it was very likely that Steve and Susie would be back tonight. Yes, yes. And it sounds like they had a very mild case. But uh, I was able to watch a little bit of the stream a little while ago, Hal. And uh, it was interesting to note that Steve and Bruce were not sharing a mic on at the end to prove it on their yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess there is a little bit of precaution going on on, on stage uh, tonight. One would hope. Uh, we talked about this a lot last year, especially when we first had the news that the 2022 tour was not going to happen. And I actually posed a hypothetical that night. What happens the night that they're sitting backstage and someone comes in and says to Landau, Roy and Max are positive, And it's inevitable. It's happened on so many tours. It happened to Pearl Jam. It happened on Eddie Vedder's solo tour, Ringo's tour. If anything, let's hope they just got it out of the way because they should have pretty tight protocols. In fact, Nikki told us yesterday, as people will hear next week, they've actually, I think, tightened the protocols since this started happening. Not a surprise, really. And it's just a risk for fans and for the band that is not going away. You and I have talked about it privately. We travel to shows. We travel to Tampa, of course. You can land somewhere and find out the show is canceled. A much higher chance that that then that would have ever happened in the past. So it, it's just something we're all going to have to live with, band and crew included. Well, it, it certainly sounds like it's COVID's not really going to ever fully disappear from from our culture or society. So we're just going to have to get used to this, and hopefully uh, the precautions will will be strong enough to, to keep everyone safe, or at least <laughs> enough people safe to have the show go on. 
Yeah, and thankfully everyone seems to be doing okay, which is the important thing. As far as the travel, I was lucky when it came to Pearl Jam that I wasn't already in Vegas when that show was canceled. There were people already there, and Sacramento was canceled day of, so everyone was there. And it's just really rough, and no band wants to do that to their fans. It's obviously nobody's fault, and Again, we hope the protocols will be in place and that they'll be able to manage this. It seems like they're getting by it in this instance. And moving forward, there's not going to be any more of this. Let's keep our fingers crossed for that. That uh, at least at least Bruce doesn't get it. And of course, there are going to be concerns about, as you said, uh, Max or Roy. But uh, so far, just just the guitarists have gone down. Yes, and. There's also been some sideshow action because of this COVID stuff, but I don't think we're going to actually talk about that on the show, are we? Uh, I, I don't think so. You know, I got enough. Uh, I try to avoid drama as best I can, even when I'm involved with it. So if I'm not involved with the drama, uh, I'm really not paying any attention whatsoever. <laughs> Unfortunately, right. I have to read about it, but uh, or I try to try to keep that at a minimum. Well, I think we can do that for you. So why don't we just move on to the tour dates? Right, yeah, we got 18 more tour dates announced by uh, by Bruce this morning. It's not a, not not a surprise. A lot of stadiums in the Northeast. You got Chicago, Philly, Foxborough, which is outside of Boston, obviously. DC, the, the Meadowlands. Even got Syracuse this time. I think that's a first time he's played there with the band or with the East Street Band since uh, since '85. Right? Don't even bring up those shows. <laughs> Sorry, I I saw him there in '92. Actually, I, th- I thought that was a that was a pretty fun show, but obviously it wasn't with the E Street uh, Band. My buddy Roger and I, we were so devastated we didn't get to go to Syracuse in January of 1985. We were, well, I wasn't even 17 yet. <laughs> wasn't something my parents were going to allow me to do. And some of our other friends went. It was it was it was tough. What you you couldn't fit into their backseat or their trunk, and and mm. have you have them drag you or drive you up there? If I told you the truth, it sounds so sad. 40 years later, Roger and I that night, instead of going to see Bruce and Syracuse at the Carrier Dome, the night our friends went, we went to see, I shouldn't say, The Perils of Gwendolyn in the Land of the Yik Yak. Oh, my God. I barely remember (laughs) that film. I remember Gwendolyn. I don't remember anything else about it. But, but yeah, Hal, I think it's time we can start putting those uh, teenage uh, angst feelings behind you and and move on to 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 today to 2023 yes i'm going to enjoy 2023 and there's a number of shows on this list of course that i'm excited about the biggest being finally california dates so it's going to be a good rest of the year yeah and they have a pretty extensive canadian tour actually going from november 3rd to november 20th and that and that includes two two nights in toronto Unfortunately, it's it's Tuesday and Thursday, so uh, for me to go or for me and my wife to go would take a whole 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 week of vacation. But he's going to Winnipeg, I believe, for the first time ever, and I believe there's a Twitter a whole Twitter account uh, dedicated to bringing Bruce to Winnipeg. And congratulations, your efforts have uh, finally paid off. So I hope you're front and center that night. And I'm not being facetious; I really do hope you're you have a great night on November 10th. As do I, except they probably won't even be verified by Ticketmaster because, well, let's, I don't know if we want to get into that, but <laughs> well, let's, well, let's, well, let's, let's touch on it a little bit. They are using verified fan again, which for stadiums is just, it's got to be for show that they're going to need a lot of people to sell these stadiums out. 
And for the arenas, the verified fan, look, it, the whole thing is a scam. I think everyone knows my thoughts on this. It's a data mining operation. It does nothing that it claims to do. I, nope. I'm just sick of the whole thing, but we're going to have to go through with it. It is ridiculous. And uh, the only people who I think profit off of it are uh, are those uh, small cell phone stores that sell burner phones. And uh, so if you want another Ticketmaster account, that's my suggestion to, suggestion to you. <laughs> It's really ridiculous, it's and I, I just don't understand why they're using it for the stadiums. Open the shows up. Let them be sold. You've got 130,000 tickets or so to sell in New Jersey in this initial sale. We understand there's a third show in New Jersey that'll be on September 3rd if demand warrants, which we expect it will. There's another show potentially planned in San Francisco on December 10th. I think there's a second Chicago show. Yep. So there's a, a number second, of added shows. Yeah, and, second, second Foxborough. Don't forget about that one. Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And there's several other dates or, well, there's at least one other date that hasn't been announced yet. That's a new city, right? Yes. Yes. One that is not on this list yet. Uh, do you want to go ahead and say it or not? I actually don't remember the name of the festival. Okay, it's it's the Sound on Sound Festival in Bridgeport, Connecticut, scheduled for September 30th. I assume they're they're about to announce this at any moment, so I'm kind of surprised that we don't it's not official even as of now. Okay. You actually told me that one. <laughs> okay, great. I'm in, I'm going to get in trouble with somebody now. Now, what is interesting, Hal, is that it's kind of disappointing that they're playing Foxborough and not Fenway, considering they're playing the ball, the baseball stadiums in Philadelphia, D.C., and Baltimore. So that's uh, definitely a swing and a miss in terms, in in my opinion, anyway. Who wants to go to Foxborough when you can go when you can play at Fenway Park? Not me. That's true. Very true. So. But hey, I'm I'm looking forward to going to Camden Yards. I haven't been there in a few years. That'll be really cool. Yes, it will. The whole year is going to be great. And if you're following along, the verified fan deadline is Sunday night. Get your entries in, then be picked or not picked. Uh, just ridiculous <laughs> again. I, I I know I'm not going to get a code, so, so it's 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 fine. You know, I'm not I'm not a real fan. The whole ticketing thing, and hopefully it won't kick up a whole round of repercussions with the dynamic pricing, although we do expect there's going to be dynamically priced tickets. It's just that with this number of tickets in some of the markets, you wouldn't expect that the prices would be anywhere near what they were the first time around. But there's got to be a better way. And we talked about that in a couple episodes back in July. We won't repeat it again, but seriously. Yeah, it's it is ridiculous. It's you not you're excluding fans from from getting even the opportunity to buy tickets and that is to quote David Putty and Seinfeld bogus man. Yeah. It's, it's 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 ridiculous. And but anyway, ticket sales do start February 17th. That's the first one in Chicago. And I believe the last ones are February 20 28th, I guess in DC is DC and Philly are the and and Baltimore, of course. Those three go on the sale at the same time. They're within a hundred miles of each other. <sighs> Way to screw the fans in that geographic area, guys. So good luck to everyone, and maybe we'll be seeing you around on the road this year. I hope so. I hope so. And moving on to our main topic tonight, we're going to take a look at the set list that Bruce has been playing so far on tour twenty twenty three, and of course, it's been pretty static. And when I look at it, I see a theme, and it's a man dealing with his own mortality. 
that's certainly what it looks like when you have stuff like Ghost and, and Night Shift and, of course, Last Man Standing, I think, is the big one. That's where he kind of even delivers a little bit of a, of a mission statement in terms of when you're 73, there's not a lot of tomorrows and a lot of goodbyes. And like That's basically what he's uh, wrapped the set list around. He said in Tampa, it's like standing on the tracks with the hot light of an oncoming <laughs> train. And... It's there from the moment it starts. This is a show. It starts with No Surrender, which is a song about youthful exuberance and learning more from a three-minute record than you ever learned in school, which is pretty much, I think, his mission statement. And as you pointed out, it goes into Ghosts, and, and that's a song totally about their experience as a band growing up together and, and now facing these realities and hearing the ghosts at the age, well, they're all in their 70s now. <laughs> well, I would back up to, to No Surrender a little bit. It's not just written about youthful exuberance. It's also about now they've grown tired and old and the hearts of fire grow cold. And so they're already, when he wrote No Surrender in 83 or 80, early 84, he was already looking back on it, on his youth in, in, a, in a wistful way. And and I think it serves a different kind of purpose on, on this tour. Actually, not, not that much different of a purpose. It's still the same kind of looking back on the youth and looking back on how we are now, and but still going, going full speed ahead. No surrender, baby. For sure. And that's one of the things as they age now, and, and it's how it he ties the whole set together. No Surrender does stand there. No retreat, baby. No surrender. I think you're right. It meant something a little bit different probably when they were men in their 30s singing that song compared to where they are now in 2023. And the way it continues in the ghosts and then prove it. What makes more of a statement? We're here. We may be older, but we're still going to prove it all night. <laughs> and they've been proving it all night since 1978. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're still going to do it. And I also think that this song just kind of serves as a as a big hit, as a f- crowd favorite where he, he counts into it, they crash into it, and the lights go up and people go nuts. So I think it's kind of a, of a release in, in, in some fashion after kind of the some of the tension of, of Ghost. And, you know, certainly talking about... Uh, moving down the hall and never arrive. So I, that's that's where that comes in for me. I really felt it was compelling in Tampa. I thought that opening sequence of songs worked incredibly well. And it does set the tone for the entire evening. And of course, then from Prove It, where they have stated, hey, we're going to prove it for you all night tonight. Then they go into Letter to You, which of course is the title track of his last band album. And I think really speaks to sort of his mindset in regards to the fans at the age he is now. Would you agree with that? I believe so. From the perspective of writing Letter to You, he's looking back on what he's done, all the songs he's written, and how he wanted to pour his heart out, the truth and the pain and the doubt, and just pour it all out into a letter to you. So it kind of, yes, it's also kind of another little little thesis statement there about just putting it all out to uh, bring it all out to the fans. And unfortunately it doesn't seem to be going over very well. It's not one of the more well received songs from the album. I mean, ghost certainly comes in hard and, and gets the crowd going. This one uh, loses a little bit, unfortunately. I would agree with that. Although when I listened to the Tampa official release, I really did think letter to you sounded really good and, and better than it did to me in the building. <laughs> 
Well, it sounds great. I'm not. I'm not saying they're not playing it well. My point is that the crowd. There's a, a definitely a, a a dip in the crowd energy, particularly in in, in direct contrast to, to what the crowd was uh, was doing in Ghost. I agree with that. And he then kicks it back up a notch with Promised Land, and that completes that opening sequence of songs. And it's, he's using it here much as he's used it for decades now to sort of punctuate the statement he's making. Well, Promised Land is, is a song that it's going to fit every, it's fit every theme of every, every show, every tour he's ever done. And so, I mean, what's more universal than I believe in the Promised Land? And, right. and here it's, it's pretty much the, the same thing. It's, it's going forward and believing that there's a, a better place and, and that's what uh, that's what he brings here. And I'm I'm not sure I agree with you about the about the closing of the opening segment. I think the opening segment goes all the way through Kitty's bag because there's really no, there's no okay. there's no there's no gap. It's all boom boom boom. That's true. We'll talk more about that because I think one of the things is we're hearing there's a lot of people confused by the static nature of the set list. Now I've pointed out to a couple of people on our Twitter feed, and of course we've talked about it. The Rising Tour started very static. And a couple of other tours, Magic had some changes, but it it certainly was a very compact, tight set list. It seems to me that No Surrender Through Promised Land, he, those are songs that seem pretty locked in right now. Now, we did have a set list at one of the shows where he was going to open with Prove It, and he switched back to No Surrender, which I think is telling. But it seems to me like those five songs in particular right now, he's pretty locked into. What do you think? Well, he's, you can say he's pretty locked into basically what twenty five of the twenty eight songs that he's been typically playing at each show. I I see what you're saying. I think that that is a very strong op- opening segment, but I also kind of think that we're going to see some changes in in the Prove It and Promised Land slots. Or that's possible. Least, I mean, I kind of I expect Knight to show up. I expect Ties That Bind to show up in there somewhere. So I I think there is some room for. Uh, for swapping some stuff out prove it hasn't been an an every nighter in a long time and i expect uh, that that to continue on this tour see i was looking at when we get to out in the street which as we said was very energetic in tampa that's a song that could be swapped out for ties that bind two hearts there's a number of river rockers that fit the slot there not to mention other songs that wouldn't be on the river that also would work i think quite well there Oh, exactly. I, and I, that would, that's, the, that's a song I would love to see swapped out basically as soon as possible. Um, I, I've kind of, uh, not to sound too jaded, but I'm kind of over the audience sing-along at the end. I know it kind of brings a feeling of community to the room and the whole in concert with each other. But uh, it's one of those songs that we've seen it a lot and we need to kind of, <laughs> kind of move on from, from it uh, you know, sooner rather than later. I don't know. Maybe it was the glow of opening night. I just had a <laughs> lot of fun with that one. Well, last you hadn't week. You, you hadn't seen it in six years. Well, that's why I'm not jaded. I don't know why you're saying you're jaded. Uh, just because um, you know it was great that opening night. I really enjoyed. It. I really enjoyed every song on opening night. But I just know that in a situation, uh, you know, I'm going to be seeing a bunch of shows in at, towards the end of the leg, and I know this is. If he plays this set list at every show I see, I'm going to be a little... That's when I'll be jaded and be like, "Mm, maybe I should stay home. All right. Well, 
let's <laughs> see how it plays out before you get to that point. Exactly. Exactly. Candy's room is a curious one to me. Now, of course, it's Candy's room. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> it's one that stands out, though. Do you see how it fits in here? Why he selected it and why he's been playing it every night? I I don't. I I, I remember always uh, associating this one. I think it was the Magic Tour and and I, and I certainly certainly the Wrecking Ball Tour, where it was because the night Candy's room, she's the one. All kind of went in a row. And I'm like, okay, well, he's playing all three songs. They're just not in a row here. And so Candy's Room moved up to the front. I don't really see the reason why, as you said, I mean, doesn't really fit into the themes that we're, that we're speculating about here. But you're right, it works. I love the guitar work in it. And, and who doesn't love the opening, uh, the opening drums? Yeah, it's, look, it's a great, great song. I don't think any audience is going to be upset with seeing Candy's Room. He could start to swap it out with other songs off Darkness. I think in the rehearsals early on, he also did a show where they ran through Something in the Night was in that slot. That's, of course, another one that's always welcome. Yep, Streets of Fire could work, Darkness on the Edge of Town. So, yeah, you're right. A bunch of stuff could work there, and I also think we could work in other, you know, other rockers, Radio Nowhere comes to mind. We take care of our own. Something, Death to My Hometown, even if even if that's maybe a little bit too political. But but you're right. That one could easily be swapped out at some point, and I don't think the show would lose any would lose any momentum or or or, uh, or feel. Darkness is perhaps the song that's most surprising that it hasn't been played yet through the first week week and a half of the tour it did appear on a set list and he skipped it that's just such an important song for him i think he cited it as one of his favorite songs of course it's never really been played every night in the reunion era but i would expect that that one's going to show up sooner rather than later well i can definitely see it swapping out for promised land uh coming out of letter to you i I think that's a definite possibility and and again the show would not really lose anything except the only thing I can see where it would kind of lose some momentum going from Letter to You, Darkness out in the street, is because going from Darkness to out in the street is kind of a that's kind of whiplash in, in terms of a, a feel and, and and the spirit of, of the songs. Now let's get to your favorite Kitty's back. Now I have a theory about this one that I turned to you during the Tampa show, and I I said I think I realize why this is being played every night, but I, the performance was very strong. Yes, yes, it is. Bruce is certainly into it. His guitar sounds sounds amazing, and, and just letting the letting everybody in the band just stretch out a little bit. It's definitely unusual for me that it's so early in the show. I'm used to. I think now, pardon me if I'm wrong, but I I, I want to say that every performance at a regular reunion era show. Now, I don't mean the holiday shows, but a regular like the Rising Tour and Magic and Wrecking Ball. It's all been in the encores, right? It's all kind of been a, a, like an encore opening song and let everybody just kind of kind of have fun with it, stretch out to open the encores. But it's very unusual here. It feels different. Yes. It does feel different. And as I turned to you during the show and I said, I think I know why this is being played right now, it really does give him a breather. And the show is constructed, in my opinion, because, of course, he's on stage every second. Other people are coming and going. He's well, just, 73. Just, well, just the yeah, horns in the choir. Just the horns in the choir are coming and going. I mean, Steve's no, on there. They, well, you know, for the most they're part, not Max, playing on Gary. Wait, but they don't play on Last Man Standing. Well, that's true. That's true. He, yeah, Bruce is I mean, playing they are, every, every, every song. That is, that is true. Okay. Yeah. So, and 
Kitty's back. There are long, we were right in front of him. There are long segments where the other people are playing. He's not singing. He's not really playing any guitar. I think it does give him a breather. And it is a treat for the audience because, of course, it's a, it's a key song off Wild and the Innocent. That's true, and I'm, I'm and I thinking about your your theory earlier tonight. I'm I'm like, well, maybe when he gets his full, when he gets in shape, when he's in full tour shape, maybe this will be one that he'll uh, he'll swap something else out into, and maybe a, maybe two songs instead of just one. And I think that would uh, that would show a lot. Well, the thing is, he really came out with, in this set charging. We've already gone through the rockers that kick yeah, off like the show. Was, well, there were seven rockers in a row. I mean, you're right. There is no breathing room in, no, in any of those. He's not getting any breaks. So, And as we noted when we did the episode right after the show, it was remarkable. We know Bruce is pretty much a freak of nature, but still, <laughs> at this point, to see the guy actually doing it, yeah, if you really are watching he definitely seems a little bit slower, although not much slower than 2016, in my opinion. But he is bringing it, and that's got to take a huge amount of energy for anyone to stand up on a stage like that, even if he was 35, to do it at his age. Certainly, if they are building in little breathers throughout the set, I can totally understand it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's it. As I said, seven songs in a row. He never, No songs ever completely end during that stretch it's all it's all music for that first what 35 40 minutes and so you get to katie's back he lets the horns go he lets danny he let not danny <laughs> oh my god charlie and roy just stretch it out on on the keyboards you're right he gets a heck of a breather in, in that situation and and then he comes back into to brilliant disguise at least well, that was that was night one yeah yeah well i then you have you have the patty it's been the patty slot she's she was what it at the first well, she, she was, was in Tampa, she was in Hollywood, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm hoping we both hope that she comes to more shows than, than not because we get something that we really want to see here. Yes. Although I'll say in Hollywood they did mention on the hill it sounded lovely, but I think I speak for both of us. The patty slot, we would like to see a song off Tunnel of Love or Human Touch. Mansion on the Hill has been done a lot in the <laughs> reunion era. Well, I was going to say, between Mansion on the Hill and Ramrod in the Encores, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what, is it 1999 again? Come on, Bruce. Let's, uh, let's bring out something new. Let's bring out something different that, w- that we haven't seen. Well, speaking of something new, you are getting something <laughs> new after a brilliant disguise in the Tampa set list because he goes to the only The Strong Survive material. We talked about this briefly. I thought that Night Shift was absolutely gorgeous the performance the way he used the backing singers i was really impressed and i think the crowd really enjoyed it too i hope i hope they did because i also really loved it i I mean as i as i said before back in november when the album came out i loved this song when it was a hit in 1985 by the commodores and i really like it here as well i think the horns bring something to it the uh, the bongos are amazing and then, of course, the the backup singers. I love everything about this song, and and again, it, it fits perfectly with the themes of, of mortality and loss totally. and, and, and and life right now. And I could actually hear that song every night, believe it or not. It's very touching. It really is, and he does a beautiful job with it. As I said, I, I don't know. It touched me. I was surprised by how much it did. Hmm, that's interesting. I I have it. Didn't feel like it touched me, but I but I certainly love loved hearing it. 
Don't Play That Song doesn't fall into the same category <laughs> for me. I know you really enjoyed it. It's a fun vamp-up rocker. I don't know. It doesn't have to be in there every night. Is, are there other songs from Only the Strong Survive that would work there? We were talking about it in the preview episode. Very surprising that Do I Love You hasn't shown up. It was rehearsed. It was the lead single, as we were saying. I would have thought that it would have been played by now. And I agree with you 100%. And I would I would think that this one would be more of a, of, of a rotating slot of songs from Only the Strong Survive. And, and I got to admit, I'm, I am surprised that there hasn't been any of that. But it's still early. I'm hoping that they will drop in Do I Love You or some of the other more upbeat, fun ones. Mr. Uh, Mr. Western Union Man, I would love to, love to hear that one. But as I said the other night, it really I really love it when he does, you know, I don't care anymore. Let's dance. And I love it. I love that moment. Uh, it was a little rough in Tampa, but uh, hearing subsequent performances, it's gotten it's gotten. Yeah. And it's followed in the set by Ishri Shuffle. That's not a coincidence. He's linking his soul song to the soul songs that came before, which I thought worked really nicely. Yeah, I had that thought earlier today, and and it works really well, as, as as you said. And I think here we have another moment for for Bruce to get a breather, uh, when 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 you have the the drummer or the percussionist battle battle it yeah. off. I think that takes up a couple of minutes, so Bruce gets to gets gets a breather there. And but unfortunately, it's not new. They he did it back in uh, on the Wrecking Ball High Hopes yeah. tour. So so we we've kind of seen that shtick before, but it's fun because he got the new guy in there. Yeah, Anthony Almonte, who we did properly name in the episode <laughs> after the show last Wednesday night, and he is doing a great job. Oh, absolutely! I'm I'm loving hearing hearing his stuff on on these uh, on these recordings. The next song after that, Johnny Ninety Nine. I'm a little intrigued by this. Now, <laughs> what do you, what do you think of Johnny Ninety Nine? It definitely seems a little out of place in in, in this show, especially in, in in this part of part of the show, as you said, coming out of two soul songs, one one a cover and one his. And I'm thinking, is this just a, him throwing a bone to the to the economic situation that some people are still facing? I don't know. If he's going to do that, I would love to hear Atlantic City or Youngstown, Murder Inc. But because I feel like Johnny Nine was kind of played out on the working on a dream tour, but you know, again, that was 14 years ago, so maybe uh, maybe I'm remembering back more sharply than than I should, or or that bruise is. It's not my favorite arrangement. It hasn't been throughout this entire reunion era since he debuted it. That that was in uh, 2003, right? Well, yeah, he debuted in 2003 at that the last couple of was it the last Shea show or the last? It was uh, one of them, yeah, right. And and I feel like in 2009 it became part of that what we call the recession pack. And, and on those performances, I feel like he really bloated it out with the whole train thing, and. Yeah, I got kind of tired of that one really quickly, but I feel like this one didn't does not go on quite that long, at least yet. And so I can kind of kind of enjoy it now. I, as I said, I hope it, he rotates it with something else. But for now, I guess we'll just have to we'll we'll enjoy it for what it is.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Now, after Johnny 99, at all but one of the shows, he's performed Last Man Standing next in Atlanta. He did Darlington County after Johnny 99. We weren't at that show, so we're not going to rip on Darlington County, but not a song that I would really need to hear. Well, no. Uh, it's That's another song. We've been there, done that, especially when it was – Obviously done almost every night on the Born in the USA tour and represented in, in, on the live 7585. Uh, but unless he's going to throw in that first verse to uh, Honky Tonk Women, I think uh, I'm, I'm fine not hearing it. Now, I don't have the Atlanta set list in front of me. Did he drop Last Man Standing or did he just no, place it, was it played Darlington? There. Okay. It was right, right after Darlington. Okay. So his Last Man Standing to me is the emotional center of the show. Yeah, and I don't without, think that song's going to be dropped. I hope not. I hope not. I'm, any show where he drops a, a song from Letter to You, I'm going to be a little bit more down on. Last Man Standing is where the show takes a turn and heads towards the conclusion of this theme, the standing on the track with the oncoming light of the train. And he certainly spelled it out in the intro, telling a beautiful story about being at George Thies's deathbed and how he came up with the song. And as you said, he said at 73, it's a lot more yesterday's than tomorrow's. I, I, I really found that to be sort of emotionally gut-wrenching. And the way he performs the song, emphasizing that he is the last man standing, that was, of the first show that we saw, I really think the highlight. Oh, I, I, got, I have to agree, even though I thought his intro – was was almost exactly how he sounded on Broadway. And, and I said at the time that he was, I feel like he was talking at us and not to us, but um, I'm sure I haven't heard how, how it sounded at, the, at any of the subsequent shows, but uh, I'm sure he'll get better at that and he'll, he'll sound more natural and not, not Mr. Mr. Broadway. Now the song of course in Tampa was followed by house of a thousand guitars, which I really enjoyed. I am in a distinct minority. It turns out. <laughs> Well, I, as I just said, any shows that have more Letter to You material, I'm, I'm going to gravitate towards. And and here's one. I thought it worked well. It's his State of the Union, as he said at the Stand Up for Heroes last year. And I'm fine. Keep keep it in there. And I know it's not going to be a fan favorite, especially of people who are more more casual and who may not have bought or listened to Letter to You. But for me, it's uh, it's kind of picks up, uh, continues the heart of the of the emotional heart of the show anyway. After Last Man Standing, I totally agree. Now, 
The one thing about Last Man Standing, I think he really captivated the arena, at least at the show we saw. I don't think that House of a Thousand Guitars did the same thing. And I heard from a lot of people, a lot of our friends, they were like, House of a Thousand Guitars is deadly. I was, I didn't know what they were talking about, but it seems that that is a very common opinion. Well, I just said it doesn't go over well with casual fans or people who didn't listen to the album. Or but what about the diehards we know? I mean, uh, Some of the people we know have certainly listened to the record. Well, are are they the ones who say that they didn't enjoy the performance, or is it just the fact that the audience was so not into it? Well, you know, Jason is not into the song at all. Okay. All right. Uh, well, my buddy one. Jason. <laughs> well, that's one. No, but I heard it. I've seen it online from a number of people. We had talked about it all the way back when we did the Letter to You review show of the record, and that was the heart of the tale he was telling on that record uh, last man standing house of a thousand guitars uh power prayer right and i I think all those songs would fit into the show now from what i'm hearing from some of our friends who have seen shows after we left tampa apparently they much prefer last man standing going into the message of backstreets than having house of a thousand guitars in between okay I mean, people have their have their preferences, but as I said, I want to hear a new song. I want hear, he he said back in '88, his job his job is to sing a new song. So I I keep it in there. I want to keep it in there. I want to see it. I want to hear it every night. I'm in favor of being played as well. It has now been dropped uh, a, at least a couple of times. I think he should try and stick with the new material. He does seem to have a very focused set on his mind. We know there's going to be changes. So, as I said, uh, I think a little while ago, worrying about the static set list at this point doesn't make a lot of sense. We've seen this before when he barnstorms the country and plays one show per arena. This is really not that unusual. We're only five shows in, into the tour, and uh, you know, I'm and I'm not really finding reason to panic. We got a long way to go, and certainly we know that. They still need to find their road legs. I'm not so so sure they've they've totally have it now. The shows have certainly gotten better, better sharper performances. But as as we talked about before on the Rising Tour, it took uh, it took about three weeks for them to bring in something else to bring in the first bef- band performance of Dancing in the Dark. And how many years was it? Fourteen, something like that. So I'm not uh, I'm not panicking yet. And and this, as you said, it's a focus set, and I, tr- I trust him. Trust him on that. Backstreets is just note perfect. I mean, when is it not? It's Backstreets, <laughs> but it works beautifully well in the show. I'm sure eventually Backstreets is not going to be played every night. It hasn't been in a long time, as we know. He tends to rotate it with something like Racing in the Street or Jungle Land. So enjoy it while it lasts, because this is a beautiful sequence of the show. This is the emotional heart, whether it's Last Man Standing and Thousand Guitars into Backstreets or just Last Man Standing in Backstreets. This is the this is the emotional heart of the show. You got the new stuff that connects to the to the old material. And yeah, every Bruce show needs to have the kind of epic like Backstreets or Jungle Land, Racing, um, Incident and Serenade are the other two that uh, that I kind of place into that that real epic category and shows need it. It's very rare that he plays a show that doesn't have one that that comes off that comes off well, to be honest. I know the Rising Tour didn't always have it, but it had Into the Fire instead. And Backstreets is followed by Because of Night. Now, this is a song we had talked about in our preview episode. What did you think of it? I thought the performance was great. It was a little tighter. Nils was fabulous. 
it's not a song that I really feel needs to be played every night. And I don't know if it's as significant to the narrative. I don't think it is as some of these other songs. No, I totally agree. Uh, these two songs, I don't really understand, you know, the inclusion of them. I mean, I get because tonight he wants to give Nils a spotlight solo. Why can't it be something like Tunnel or even Youngstown? But I did enjoy it in Tampa. I thought it was Nils's solo did not go on, you know, for two minutes like it did before, and we didn't have him spinning like a top on stage. And I really liked when Patty came in to when they duetted on, I guess, the middle verse together at the mic. I thought that worked really well. It was different than than certainly what it was most nights in, in sixteen. So. It was good, but definitely ready for it to be swapped out for just about anything else. Now, the second song you were talking about is She's the One. Again, it is a curious choice that that would be played every night. But he does like that because the night She's the One pairing. Uh, yeah, musically, I, it works It works well. It's, it's a nice segue, especially coming out of Because the Night. But why can't uh, it be something else? Why can't it be Night? Why can't it be Youngstown or even Murder, Inc.? I know those are two songs I keep coming back to, but I think they would work. They're the kind of songs that basically crash right into the start of the song, like She's the One. And as you said, I don't I don't see how She's the One is an every-nighter, at least, <laughs> at least without a nice epic intro like it was in 78 and 88. I do think part of it is the set is somewhat challenging. It's interesting because, again, he's doing a show – there's no hits in the main set. I, it's remarkable. I, no Surrender wasn't a single. Now it is a song off board in the USA that gets the night off to a fast start. But there's really no chart hits at all in the main set. So I think perhaps he feels you got to give people some anchors and she's the one as a key song off Born to Run that people can respond to. Do you agree with that? Well, first off, just to be technical, uh, Brilliant Disguise and Because the Night were both top 20 songs. <laughs> oh, that's true. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but at the same time, there are a lot oh, but of- Brilliant Disguise was, we can't count Because the Night for Bruce. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, was- but you're correct. I But Brilliant Disguise was only played that one night, though. Right. Okay. All right. So beyond that, there are a lot of fan favorites here. These are a lot of the- the classic stuff that maybe not the, just the radio listener is going to know, but the person who followed Bruce throughout the 75 to 85 period with, you know, prove it promised out the street, even Kitty's back in East street shuffle are certainly notable to, to even casual fans. So I know what you're saying. There aren't any real top 10 hits, especially nothing off born in the USA, but at the same time, it's still just fan favorite after fan favorite. I'm trying to figure it out myself. There are certain songs in here, like we were talking about with Candy's Room and She's the One, that don't seem necessarily anchored as much to the theme that he is relying on here early in the tour. Is it because they haven't worked up a huge number of songs yet? It's hard to say. But I I think we both expect that those will be swapped at some point. Yeah, these are in the top five slots to me that are going to be turned into wild card slots once once they get some more songs under their belt. And actually, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't as far as we know, they haven't sound checked a lot of stuff, a lot of different stuff. They seem to be, uh, I think Cadillac Ranch is the one is that yeah. in my hometown. Are those the only two songs? I think so. Okay. So yeah, I, and believe me, my hometown may be the literally the last song I want to hear on this tour at this point. After she's the one he went into wrecking ball. Now I, we had talked about this. 
he has a fixation on the title track from that record. But in this case, it does fit perfectly into the theme. And I think it so reflects his own mindset at the moment. I totally understand why it's in the show, even though there are perhaps a song or two off that record that would mm-hmm. also fit there. Most notably, We Take Care of Our Own oh, okay. that he could play instead. Oh, interesting. See, I was thinking about this earlier, and I'm thinking We Are Alive would be Oh, yeah, that's another, perfect. That's another even, one. Or even Rocky Ground. I mean, and he has Michelle Moore there. They, I'm sure they can work up the rap and and get that get that uh, that groove going for for that song. But you're right, Wrecking Ball. That is about mortality. It's it, I know it's a it's a cheesy, lots of cheesy lines about the about Giant Stadium and where Giants play their game and all that yeah. stuff and mosquitoes and whatever. And not one that I really wanted to hear. But on, for better or for worse, it's. It's so central to the theme that it's kind of hard not to, even though, as I just said, I'd rather hear We Are Alive or or Rocky Ground. Yeah, it fits this theme of mortality to perfection, and I would expect it's going to stay around for a while. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting. There's only one place in the entire first leg, which, of course, is Belmont, where there are two shows. It's going to be interesting to see how this develops, because you would think night two in Belmont, there's going to be changes. I don't think he's going to play the same show in the arena two nights in a row. But then again... By the time he gets to Belmont, he'll have played the Garden. He'll have played Barclays. So is he going to group all these Northeast shows and say, hey, this is all one large set of shows? Because there's a ridiculous number of shows (laughs) in the Northeast. Well, there's there's five in the New York, New Jersey area. Alone. Yeah, just in those two weeks. So, yeah, hopefully he'll be shaking some of that stuff up uh, by then or over the course of, of those two weeks. But. I guess going back to 88, certainly he didn't shake things up in, when he played Five Nights at the Garden. That was a, a little totally, bit. That was a totally different show. Yeah, th- what, three songs came in with? <laughs> Vigilante Man, Cross the Border, New York, New York, Crying. Well, that's about it, right? I just think he feels that Wrecking Ball is important. The next song, The Rising, is certainly one of the most important songs of the reunion era. One could perhaps make the argument it's the most important song in the reunion era. It does play into this theme as well. I I think I said this last week when he was singing the dream of life lines at the end. I I just really, there was something about it I I found very compelling. Now, that's a song that I, I I know some people get tired of the rising. It's just such an incredibly well-constructed song and, and so meaningful. That's not a song I could ever get tired of. And I'm actually, I'm in the same boat. I, I love it. I think it's, as you said, one of the more important songs, if not the most important song of the last 20 years. And you're right about the whole dream of life and the catfish dancing on the end of my line, trying to take take hold of life right now. And I think it's going to stay. And I, I really don't have a problem with that. Obviously, in the past on Wrecking Ball, he swapped out Lonesome Day for it a few times. but And that could work as well. But at the same time, the title track of that album is is one of the key songs a, of, of his career. Lonesome Day is a really good song, too. But The Rising is a signature song, and I think it ties in better to what he's trying to say here. Well, no disagreement there. But I was just trying to think of something, if he was going to swap it out. I know he swapped it out for Lonesome, Lonesome Day in the past, and maybe Lonesome Day will appear 
she's the one or, uh, or, or promised land or, 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 or out in the street. The set ends with Badlands, or at least it did in Tampa. Now it's also ended a couple times with Thunder Road. Badlands, we knew it was going to be in. It works well coming out of the rising. It completes the theme. And it, it, it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. <laughs> no. And that arena erupts. We know that. It's a song that people love. We love it too. And it completes what I thought was a very, very compelling main set that first night in Tampa. Yeah. It was a very tight, very tight narrative, very tight arc. And But I would love to hear Thunder Road now. Uh, yes. Obviously, it's one of the great ones. Kind of, you know. Looking since he's played it a couple of times since Tampa, I'm kind of disappointed he didn't play it in Tampa. But hopefully, over those two weeks in uh, in April, I'll get to hear it at least once. Now, the encores in Tampa, and we're going to hear, I think, some strong words from you. Now, the encores in Tampa opened with "Burn and Train," which I had said I'm happy to have it played. It's not one of my favorites off "Letter to You," although I thought it worked pretty well. But he hasn't really stuck with it completely. It, it was dropped for night two. It was also not played in Hollywood. I think, especially somewhat ironically, I'm saying this, but he does mention the oncoming train prior to Last Man Standing, and it is somewhat symmetrical to then open the encores after he's completed that main set with Burning Train. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought that that was especially well done. And I don't know, uh, is he going to stick with it? That's a good question. I, I'm i not totally sold on the position of it in the show as, a, as an encore opener. I think it might work better, say, coming out of Brilliant Disguise or coming out of, out of E Street Shuffle instead of Johnny 99. Or maybe, I mean, and ideally, it would, it would come after Ghost, to be perfectly honest. But it's where it's where he's it's in the encores now and i guess uh we'll see how that goes and for me every show that's going to have burning train is going to be a notch higher in in my book well it's what you said in his words in 1988 about coming out to say something new and to sing a new song even though the encores hits some obvious points i think opening and closing the encore with a new song is is bold and you don't see that from a lot of artists of his age and with his catalog. So I thought it worked well. Now, for whatever reason, the arena didn't seem to recognize Born to Run coming out of it. So maybe you're right. It is a placement issue. But I also think it should be played. The more off letter to you, the better. If it's not going to be Burn and Train, I'm for a train slot. Let's rotate Burn and Train, <laughs> Tucson Train. Uh, Land of Open Dreams can fit into that slot. Leave and Train, yes. Land of Open Dreams can fit into that slot. I'm I'm for a train slot. Well, I'm all for that. Bring Tucson Train in there. That's that's one of my favorites off off Western Stars. But Burden Train works. I as I said, I hope it sticks around. There's not too much that we are going to have to say about Born to Run, Rosalita, Glory Days, Dancing in the Dark, and Tenth Avenue. What do you think? Is there anything new to say about that? (laughs) Well, I just I'm just going to say what I've what I've said before is that I have no problems with with playing no. these songs in the encores, and I, it's because for people who may not be that familiar with with his career, who may not know E Street Shuffle or or, or Kitty's Back or, or even Out in the Street or Promised Land, they do know Dancing, they know Glory Days, they probably even know Rosie, and because those were 
those are radio hits. I mean, Glory Days and Dancing, obviously top ten hits, biggest hits of his career. And so this is for this is the party. This is the time for for everybody to get up and dance, and I'm all for that. As am I. If you're not ready to rock through Born to Run and Rosalita and Glory Days, then why the hell are you going to the show? I mean, <laughs> let's face reality. That's and, true. That's true. You know, at some point they should probably be rotated. As we know, the man has a lot of hits that aren't being played. Glory Days could be Hungry Heart. As we know, it could be other songs off board in the USA. You could even throw Cover Me into the encores, which I don't think has been done before. But that was a top 10 hit. And well, and don't the, forget, yeah, go and ahead. And he did Ramrod in, in Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida. So that could easily be another encore song that's that falls into the same vein. I'll say a, this. Well, it's it's not a top. It wasn't a top ten hit, but I guess. But based on the fact that it was done so often on the reunion tour, I think uh, I think people know it, and uh, it's not exactly going to going to put anybody back in their seat. See, I'll say this: I would stay away from Ramrod just because they're coming off the River Tour. It wasn't a hit. I understand Hungry Heart, and Hungry Heart has been woefully underplayed in recent tours, except for the River Tour, of course, where it's a part of the record. And there's other stuff there that I think could be played besides Ramrod. So, and I've never been a huge fan of Ramrod, <laughs> going all the way back to the 80s, in all honesty. Okay. All right. I just know that it's a big one. It's a dance song. People get into it. And, uh, but I also get, understand what you're saying about it was done almost every night in 1617. So, yeah, could give that one a rest too. But, yeah, of course, he, he hasn't, he's not giving a rest to Dancing in the Dark either. And that's been done almost every night since 2002. It's the biggest chart of his career. I know, but he's also, but he didn't do it on the, he, the only, the only times he did on the, on the reunion tour were uh, acoustic country swing. And he only did it like twice in, in, in there, that arrangement. And so there's precedent for him not playing it. That reunion tour was something I don't think we're ever going to see again. He basically took the stance. I'm coming back. We're reuniting. By the way, if you think we're going to play any hit that, you know, it's not happening. <laughs> I think my hometown was the most hit song. Well, no, Hungry Heart was played quite a bit. Don't get me. It was. That's true. I'm talking about the Born in USA songs. He totally, yeah. The Born in USA hits were either ignored or played in very (laughs) unusual arrangements on that tour. Very, very true. All right. But then after 10th Avenue, where he does the, before the song, he does that, the band intros doing. I, I don't know. I got the feeling it was a James Brown like thing with, yeah. with the drums and it wasn't quite there yet that when we saw it in Tampa. No it's, no, it's not. And I haven't listened to that one on the two subsequent releases after Tampa, but I'm sure I'll be giving a listen not too long, and we'll we'll see how it's improved. I did like the tightness of Tenth Avenue. I thought it was good, and really the perfect capper to the band portion of the show. You start with No Surrender and Ghosts, and you wind up. The change was made uptown, and the big man joined the band. The story is complete. Yeah, well, as Bruce said, let me tell you the story of the band back in two thousand nine, and then he, and then it's Tenth Avenue, and he still, so that story still still resonates to this day. And it, as you're right, it makes a good bookend to to Ghost and, and No Surrender. And then he finishes it up with "I'll See You in My Dreams." We had predicted that that was going to close the show. It's interesting because I had seen some people online, and they were like. You can't end with that song. It's too depressing. And now that he's doing an acoustic, that they're saying that and more. I don't think those people are really getting what he's doing. The, the song is not depressing, for one thing. That's no. not the intention, nor is it how it works. 
no, I, I agree with you. I think it's a perfect end to the show. It's death is not the end. And I will see you in my dreams. I will see you going forward, whether you're, whether you're living or not. And I think it's very, it's a very beautiful end to the show. And, and we're talking about mortality and this is, this is another one that falls squarely into that box. Yeah. And the song to me, it's full of hope that death is not the end. And our time here, not only is he going to see you in our dreams, in his dreams, but when you leave the earth, if you've left an impact, other people remember you and that's why they're dreaming about you and that there's there's more to life and that you should look out into that great beyond, as he put it, the light of the oncoming train and not be afraid of it. And I, and I just thought it was an incredibly hopeful ending to the show. Oh, and it was just and it brought back memories of people that, that we have lost. Uh, my, my friend Holly and I know another friend of ours was thinking of her as well. And think of fans that uh, are no longer with us, but they're they're still along for the ride, uh, even if they're not here physically. It's funny. When I was thinking about the end of the show today, I went back to when we had the awesome opportunity to interview Steve and I brought up the ending of the Broadway show and and how powerful it was. And he was talking about how perfect it was. And it, it worked so incredibly well on Broadway. And there it replaced Born to Run, which is... <laughs> <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. And here... I think with the way he has constructed the show, it's the perfect ending. And and I don't know, I'm sure, obviously, as we get into the stadiums, it's not necessarily going to end with I'll See You in My Dreams acoustic. I'd love to take if they took a ch- shot with it with the band. But if he's going to continue to do it acoustic, I think it will be played. Perhaps there will be something that comes after it. Well, I was just thinking back to the Wrecking Ball tour in, in, in 13, and I think even... Uh... In 16 and 17, at least in Europe, he did in in, in the show with, it is true. With, acoustic, with acoustic songs. Obviously, one of, the main one was Thunder Road, which obviously is a, <laughs> it's a huge song. But he also also did This Hard Land a few times and Janie, Don't You Lose Heart. So there is precedent to that. And even if it's not Thunder Road, I think the ending in, ending a show on this kind of quiet hopefulness, I guess you could call it, uh, I think it works quite well. If he did want to do a little encore with the band, though, I think you just actually named the song after I'll see you in my dreams. And there was a, there was a long gap after Tampa where the lights didn't come back on. I, I really figured the show was over, but obviously we didn't leave because the lights were still off. <laughs> Thunder Road would probably be the song to come back and do with the band after I'll see you in my dreams. If he wanted to cap it with a, a little bit more up tempo. Now, what about Thunder Road before I'll See You in My Dreams, after 10th Avenue, say? That could work as well. <laughs> actually, I guess you, actually Thunder I, Road works work, works great anyway. Exactly. We're not, really, we're, we're not really coming up with anything big here that Thunder Road works. <laughs> That's Bruce, true. write that down. Thunder Road works. <laughs> all right. I yeah. think we've said all that there is to say about the set list. So let's That's true. But well, it's, a, it's a heck it's a heck of a show. It makes an impact, it makes is. a statement. And uh, but we'll see how it how it changes or, or doesn't change over the over the course of the tour. That's going to be really fascinating. And we're, of course, going to be talking about it all the way through, not only here on our main podcast, which is distributed on your favorite podcast platforms. We'll also be doing a lot of bonus content on our new Patreon page, patreon.com backslash MBTB podcast. So if you want 
check that out. We've had a lot of excitement with how many people have been uh, signing up. It's, it's blowing us away. <laughs> and if, if you could also interact with us on Twitter at MBTB Podcast there. So that there's a lot going on and we want to hear from people. Uh, yeah, we're doing a lot and looking forward to the to the live stream uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. That's going to be real. That's going to be wild. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, that is going to be a lot of fun when we interact with our audience for the first time. That's going to be on February 19th. Well, first time via voice or, or face. We've Obviously, yeah. we've been interacting with them quite a bit on, on Twitter. And, uh, I guess and in person. That's right. We a had a people, lot of people come lot up of people, to us. Yeah. Uh, Tampa, that that that's amazing. That's that's I'm just I'm just blown away by that. And it was really cool. Yeah, it's 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 cool. It's and I and I'm very humbled humbled by it tremendously. We do appreciate it. And I'll just finish up here, and we'll let people get on their way. None but the brave is produced by Bull Market Entertainment and presented by Evergreen Podcasts. As I said, our Patreon page is patreon.com backslash NBTB Podcast. Again, our Twitter is at NBTB Podcast. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and uh, see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.